podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. see something really scary you bet music horror art politics and overall badass welcome to kettle whistle radio for real on society 13 networks welcome back welcome to kwr Killed Archie. Not me, not just now. Life with Archie. Here it is. Archie Andrews, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Archie Andrews. 1941 to 2014. The redhead from Riverdale dies in issue number 36 of Life with Archie. Which arrives in comic stores Wednesday, this past Wednesday. What was that? I don't know. The, uh... 15th, July 15th, I have no idea. All I know is I got my issue. Uh, Archie throws himself in the path of a gunman who is threatening his friends, including the openly gay Senator Kevin Keller. The assailant is not a fan of two of Keller's core issues, gay rights and gun control. Who knew that would ever come up? I never thought I'd talk about gun control on KWR. Anyway, what I got for you today, other than this comic book news, and I'm holding two issues of this epic comic where they kill off Archie. Some people are upset about that, including my grandma Laura upstairs who used to buy me Betty and Veronica and Archie comics every time I saw her. And, uh, of course, my friend Julia Dark Rose Ray of Dark Rose Journal, who grew up with Archie comics. She seemed a little bit upset when informed of this tragic event. Dark Rose Journal will be printing a story of mine. Uh, the Moon's Crying will be there. Very Probably one of the weirdest things I've ever written and ever will write. And, of course, she loved it. And I look her up, Julia Dark Rose Ray, on Facebook. And look for Dark Rose Journal. Fantastic magazine. Definitely for you that uh, you, folks out there that like erotic vampires, um, horror, and beautiful gothic um, issues, girls, stories, uh, just inspiration. There's just so much going on there. And it's a thick magazine, too, but look into it. Um, she's got it on her Facebook page. You can look her up on Twitter, too, Julia Dark Rose Ray. Um, other announcements, let's see. Uh, the Fall of Tomorrow, my book is doing so well that I have two more books coming out. More on that at some other point. I can't tell you when, how, or what at this point, but you will see more of me to my friends that like to read. <laughs> horror, anyway, horror. And uh, in this show, we have some... Not necessarily horror, but some Long Island folklore 
coming out uh coming up me and misty out at montauk out at night on the beach and talking some local history and definitely a uh, long island boy of a boy that made good actually friend of mine brian devoe his band nine days who you might be familiar with as the story of a girl band well i'm gonna be playing another tune by them um great guys i saw them not too long ago and uh let's see <clears throat> other announcements i don't know i really don't have too much else there's a lot of things i could tell you about but we're going to save some of that that we got some paul mccartney news uh an epic story about paul mccartney <coughs> excuse me and the bgs i've had the science infection since the last show so it's just staying with me but uh thanks for listening and uh let's get on with this striving to salvage some hope against a ravenous passion of evil bent on ruling our world. Burning Ball Publishing presents The Fall of Tomorrow by David J. Fairhead. Available May 1st at Amazon.com and at BurningBallPublishing.com Hey. This is Dave. Off prem once again. Welcome to KWR. Live at Montauk. Though when you hear this, it may not be so live. But Montauk is well alive. That's the ocean. Three feet away, crashing right in front of me. It's night. I'm going in. Shark or no shark, it's just beautiful. The water's awesome. We got more for you, don't worry. Don't worry, we're not gonna bore you with ocean talk. But maybe some folklore. Old school broadcasting right here, oceanfront. Watching the waves crash, man. Love it, wouldn't have it any other way. Just get a whistle radio. So I'm here with Miss D on Montauk, the best place on earth, very well known by Locals, people from Long Island, not well known by people outside, um, and of course they're not so welcome. <laughs> anyway, so we're out here and uh, with our new production assistant Jet Marie out in the sand, and um, Taddy is actually Taddy is out in the dunes. She's not afraid of sharks, but sharks worry her from what she says, so she's just hiding in the dunes. She's she's building a sand fortress of solitude. As far as Jet and our production assistant. I do not recommend hiring a dog as a production assistant. So anyway, here we are, Montauk. They had their annual shark fishing tournament. And here we are looking upon it. There's a fisherman out there right now. You can probably hear the ocean in the background. It's beautiful. This is the place to be. Because <sighs> why would you be anywhere else? Um, so the Montauk, what is this, Miss D, this Montauk shark tournament? Um. Well, there's several shark tournaments throughout the summer, but the one going on just a few days ago. And we're not here to just tell you about that, don't worry. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. First of all, why does Jaws strike a visceral nerve with all of us? It's a great movie. 
why are we so intrigued with the shark? Well, the bottom line is they're living monsters. They're still out there. As a matter of fact, there is a mascot of Montauk that has been tagged and are, is being followed. We'll get into that later. But as far as Jaws, I don't know how many people know that Jaws was based on a, a real thing that happened in Red Bank, New Jersey. Spielberg stole it. Ah, he used it. He didn't steal anything. Uh, look up the book 12 Days of Terror. Richard Fernicola. Great book. Do not watch the sci-fi version of it, please. With John Rees Davies, you know, whatever. Um, but it's based on a shark that attacked five people in Red Bank, New Jersey, in the early 1900s. And it's a great, uh, it's a great book. Just and the shark came off a river, right? The shark. Well, there's or more to it. It killed four, attacked five, but. What people don't know, or do know, it's mentioned real brief, real brief when Sheriff Brody is talking with the mayor and Dreyfus is there by the billboard and they're yelling at each other about a hot lunch. And they mention it briefly, but a, a lifeguard, well, a guy was killed just swimming about three meters out in the water. Um, and then, probably the most horrific part of the story, the, the four to five kids went swimming in... Uh, a creek, which was actually attached to, well, it was a canal that came off the main, you know, in Jaws, they talk about the pond, you know, Sheriff Brody's like, oh, you know, don't, uh, just take the boat and go in the pond, and Sean's just like, I'm sorry, Michael, was like, ponds for old ladies, with his coffee talk voice. Yes. You know, <laughs> and... He, he said, you know, do it for your old man. Well, that's the canal that really took it took place in in, in, uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. These kids go swimming. They uh, they all jump in. One one jumps in and doesn't come back up. Well, apparently a great white swam its way down the canal and was just waiting and killed one of the kids instantly. The other kids run out, and they run to a local uh, pharmacy where the clerk who knew them came out to help them and ran back out, jumped in the water to find the kid, he jumps in the water, and he finds the remains of the boy in the water. But as he comes up, he's attacked, and it rips his leg off. Ugh. And he, in turn, comes onto shore, and, and he, he dies. Uh, and, and it ends up being the same shark that had killed one person prior. But on its way up the canal, little known fact, on its way up the canal, it attacked another boy who was swimming off a dock. All right, and attacked him. He survived, but he's horribly mutilated. And little known fact that that happened. I don't know. Why are we talking about this anyway? Folklore, Montauk. Well, let's get into Montauk. We're talking about Jaws. Why? I've gone too far. I've gotten too dark. Um, now, there's a great white that was tagged here in 2010. Uh, a record great white, 3,456 pounds. What's her name? Mary Lee, you can follow her on at Mary Lee Shark on Twitter. That's a little shout out to Mary Lee the Shark. There's some great footage but, of her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. you know, she's been, what, maybe 30 miles out from Long Island and she goes up and down to Florida, to Florida, back up to Jersey and back up to New York and hangs out. It's kind of interesting. It's actually kind of scary because I love to go in the ocean that something that big is maybe not that far. And they're very successful with fishing here, absolutely. <laughs> um, the character Captain Quentin Jaws was based around a real person. Montauk shark, shark hunter Frank Mundas, M-U-N-D-A-S, look it up. He held the record for the largest great white ever caught 
4,500 pounds in 1964. Now, there's a lot of controversy around shark fishing, shark well, tournaments. Tournaments, yeah. Right. Because, you know, they're catch and release tournaments, but some people say that when you release them, you know, the sharks are so torn up from the hooks and everything else that they end up dying. They're incapable of consuming their food as normal. They can't right. eat like they used to. So... Right. So, I mean, just um, the, the, the irony of that is uh, the guy that's um, modeled after Captain Quint, Frank Mundus, shark fisherman Long Island, he designed a hook in 2008 that caused less injuries for the catch and release tournaments because many of the sharks had died. He found a hook that caused less, less injuries and these sharks survived better. So he's kind of giving back after being famous for being the Captain Quint of Montauk right. in, in New York. <laughs> a little ironic, right? Exactly. And Mary Lee, the Great White, one of two Great Whites to be tagged in the North Atlantic. She's famous. Look her up. Look her up. Follow her on Twitter. Um... Pause for station identification. You know why? It's rough out here. The sea was angry that day. Hello, this is Victoria from the Ninth Story Podcast. And this is Kettle Whistle Radio. They play music almost as good as my music box. It's also fairly dark in here. You're not afraid of the dark, but you should be. <laughs> So we're back. This is Dave. Chet Marie is following me to the water. It's beautiful out here. The weather's perfect. 75, wonderful sunshine. Shark fishermen in the water. <laughs> gotta love it. And I am in the water, about waist deep, because I uh, got my MP3 player, but I gotta get out right now. And um, Montauk was my inspiration for writing. A novel that you may or may not get to see, we'll see. I'm working on it now, it's my second one, which actually was going to be my first, or third. Complicated story. But uh, there's all kinds of folklore out here. I don't know if anybody's heard of the Montauk Monster. It's a great story. It's actually international now. <coughs> Pardon me. A mouthful of seawater. And uh, we got Miss D who's going to... I just told him a little bit about the Montauk Monster. I, I introdu introduced it, but oh. the shark tournament is still taking place out here. And uh, I don't right. know. You want to explain this? Like, explain a shark tournament on Long Island. On Long Island. Well, apparently there are catch and release um, tournaments. But I guess this one prize $25,000 for the heaviest shark, which is crazy. So apparently they have threshers, blues, makos. Once in a while, a great white has been spotted. <laughs> so most of the fishing 20, 30 miles off the shore for these tournaments. So seems to draw a lot of people. Did you tell them what kind of sharks we got here? I did. Nice one, I did. nice one, nice one. But uh, you know, now I saw them about the Montauk Monster. Now, they, you've seen the reports of this thing that washed up on the beach, you know, like what, May, it was July 23rd, 2008 already, geez, in Ditch right. Plains, uh, yeah. Ditch Plains Beach, popular for surfing, 
lots of surfers out here. Yeah. Um, lots of fishermen. Apparently, we learned too that they don't always get along. Uh, apparently. We frequented a few bars and pubs that uh, surfers and fishermen don't get along. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the haircuts. Territory. Some, yeah, territoriality. Yeah. No idea. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to reel in our dog here because there's a fisherman coming right now. He's coming right for us, actually, in his Jeep. Action moment. Action moment. Come here, Jack. <laughs> all right. I'm not going to win against that. <laughs> and he gave us the, it's all cool to run over my dog wave. <laughs> and there he goes, right along the surf in his multifaceted Jeep. With a big, big ass fishing pole. Yeah, that's the new Captain Quint. That's like Quint. not even, <laughs> that's <laughs> no joke.
No joke. But so, anyway, back to the Montauk monster. Many deemed it a fake, or could it be an animal that had been in the ocean for a while? Um, so, anyways, the monster, as it's called, is hairless, obviously, and it has a beak-like mouth, tail, feet. It's about the size of a large raccoon or a dog. Some people think it is oh, a it raccoon. It's a dead raccoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of been, you Somebody know. Somebody I respect too, the cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman proposed it was a raccoon due to the body structure and skull shape. That's fine. That's all fine and good. But um, apparently, it didn't it end. It deepens. Yeah. There was quite a few reports on these things washing up. So I guess there were similar cases in 2011 in March. They found one in Northville, New York that kind of washed up. In July of 2012, there was a creature they dubbed the East River Monster was found under the Brooklyn Bridge. And I think there was something in Connecticut or a few other places that I found some things too and I'm like, oh, that's just weird. The East River Monster threw down cardboard and started breakdancing. Well, yeah, because he has to. That's what you do if you're under the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay, no it isn't. But anyways. <laughs> Maybe in 1980. Maybe. Maybe. So, uh, David, since you're a native uh, Long Islander, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Plum Island... Um, Montauk Monster Connection. There isn't too much going on there. Um, Plum Island, it, there's a lot of folklore about that. It can be seen off of Long Island, not too far off. But yeah, I, I had a friend, excuse me, my full salt water there, friend that worked, he was an electrician there, and just being an electrician, they called him in and the, he said he was never without two security guards on the boat over while he worked on his lunch and on his way back. And he couldn't talk too much about it. Plum Island is just this, you know, it's, well... It's a... Uh, animal disease. Animal disease center. It's the U.S. federal government owns it. It studies animal diseases, um, things like that, but very high security for, you know, because it's a federal installation. Yeah, and supposedly lots of testing goes on there. Um, the island is situated in Gardner's Bay, east of Orient Point. Orient Point, if you're not from here. I say Orient Point, all right? I, I, to, thought, it was, I thought it was Orion well, for the longest time. On a ferry that used to go there, whatever. But you don't say, you don't pronounce a T if you're from here. All right, well, much, much like you Pittsburghers in your... I, I won't <laughs> get yeah, all right. Don't make me smack you with a pierogi. I'll do it. But Orient Point, off the coast of Long Island, established in 1954. Former U.S. military installation. It was... Fort Terry. Fort Terry originally in 1897. Owned by the U.S. government. Access to the island is controlled by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, with good reason. There's zombies there. Oh. Actually, it's funny. If you look it up, they're, they're talking about mutilated bodies, human bodies that have washed up on shore. You know, there's a lot of bullshit. You don't believe any of that. Some of it's... Well, but some of it was like, you know, people, I don't know if it's conspiracy, you know, conspiracy theorists or whatever, you know, have said, because Plum Island's not too far away from Montauk, that the Montauk monster might be some, I don't know, test subject that's gone awry exactly. or something like that. It's just a world, it's a cornucopia of imagination that you can develop and turn it into something, and some people have through the years. I mean, there's a bookshop here, right here in Montauk, that it's lovely. You know, I, that may or may not be selling my book. I'm not going to tell you that. But um, uh, one of my not favorite authors, but a guy I read a few of his things, Nelson DeMille, wrote Plum Island, which is a detective novel. 
and it follows the adventures of Detective John Corey. I think there's like three books that could be more by now, but um, his best book is The Lions Game. But uh, Plum Island, he uh, a detective story. It's kind of like a whodunit on Plum Island type of thing, and he gets clearance to go there, Detective John Corey. And uh, the cool thing about this book was that Plum Island, Nelson DeMille, he, DeMille was bold enough to have a real or fictional map of Plum Island. I'm thinking it was fictional, or they're still hunting him down. <laughs> yeah, I don't think but he has it, a real map. It's actually Just in, it's in the book, though, and I thought right. that was really cool. Um, but, you know, now, since we're talking about, you know, um, well... Where does fiction come from? Uh, let's go to let's go to Moby Dick. Oh yes. Yeah, let's go to Moby Dick. All right. Uh, why? Again, we're intrigued with the sea. Why are we intrigued with the sea? Because you can't control it. And it's a hell of a lot bigger than all of us. And um, there's a book that everybody should read if you're into the ocean and the monsters that come from it. And I'm not talking Lovecraft. I love Lovecraft. Let's get into some realism here. Yeah. So I thought I would pick up some light summer reading, which. Um, <laughs> I did at the local Montauk bookstore. Ow, I stepped on a crab. Oh God, it's better than having crabs. But um, so I was in the Montauk bookshop. Um, it's really Ow. a neat little place. And I picked up In the Heart of the Sea, and it's about a whaling ship, the Essex. Um, that was the real life story of Moby Dick. Well, where Herman Melville got the idea for Ow. Moby Dick. Um, it was a whaling ship that was rammed and sunk by a very, very angry sperm whale. So, um, oh, stop it! But, <laughs> but I think there were only eight survivors who, you know, had to do some pretty crazy things to survive, like cannibalism and that sort of thing. But uh, it looks like some light summer reading. I'm far into it. Uh, Nathaniel Philbrick wrote it. So You should spell Philbrick. Philbrick. P-H-I-L-B-R-I-C-K. It's in the heart of the sea. The tragedy of the whale ship Essex. I don't know. It gives like just a lot of really good historical information. What life was like in Nantucket at that time. and To all your Moby Dixonians. What that kind of life was like. And I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, shall we say. But you also picked up a. Well, we're getting into it now. All right. A little so, ditty we're doing a for summer here. reading. You know, local boy does good type of thing. I gotta get big, big ups here. Um, so while I was in there trying to sell the fall of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my horrific, monsterific tale of apocalypse by demons or some other craziness that you may or may not figure out. Um, I found this book. I should say Miss D found this book. And it's kind of like, at first I was jealous, and then I wasn't jealous, because there's nothing like this other book I'm working on. Nothing at all. Um, the author, Hunter Shea. Hunter, first name, Shea, like Shea Stadium. He wrote a book called The Montauk Monster. This is a new book. Now, what intrigued me about Hunter Shea is, let's talk about, let's talk about Hunter Shea. Hunter Shea is the author of the novels Sinister Entity, 
Forest of Shadows, Swamp Monster Massacre, and Evil Eternal. His stories have appeared in numerous magazines including Dark Moon Digest, Morpheus Tales, and the Cemetery Dance Anthology. Shocklines, Fresh Voices in Terror. His obsession with all things horrific has led him to real-life exploration of the paranormal, Taddy Cullen, interviews with exorcists, Heather Taddy Cullen, and other things that would keep most people awake at night, not me. He lives in New York with his family and vindictive cat. <laughs> he waits with biblical patience for the Mets to win a World Series. I love that. Hence Hunter Shea. You can read about his latest trabaz and communication and communicate with him at www.huntershea.com. That's www.huntershea.com. So he wrote this book, The Montauk Monster. One hot summer night in Montauk, the bodies of two local bar patrons are discovered in the dunes, torn to shreds, their identities unrecognized. It kills, it breeds, it spreads. And he is delving into Plum Island, the U.S. research facility that has been running top secret experiments. And I cannot wait to read this book, The Montauk Monster by Hunter Shea. Gonna be in touch with him. I bet I have him on the show in less than well six shows. Depends how busy he is. <laughs> I'd like to say two, but I'm not that pompous. But it looks like a great book, Hunter Shea, and I can't wait to read this and talk to you about it. Long Island guy does good. There's lots of horrific tales to be told about Long Island. Hence Amityville Horror. Or horrific Long Islanders. What is that about? There's lots of us too. So. <laughs> Just teasing. They're lovely people. They really are. You think so? Oh yeah, right. you do. Absolutely. Well, I'm gonna take a walk by the ocean. Okay. Step on a crab. Again. I'm gonna sign off here. And uh, gonna go see my friends in Innsmouth. Thanks for listening to Kettle Whistle Radio live at Montauk. host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. 
Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.